If your job to be done for today is to listen to an informative podcast, you're in the right place. Welcome to Smarter Together, the market research podcast by Phase 5. In each episode, we will be bringing in guests with different areas of expertise from different organizations to dig into the latest, most innovative, and most inspiring insights we encounter in our work as a market research firm that focuses on customer centricity. Today, I'd like to welcome Steve Hansen, a partner and practice lead of data analytics here at Phase 5. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. Steve, just to get started, I wouldn't mind if you could just share with me a little bit about your research background and about what you do. Well, how far back do you want to go? I mean, it's <laughs> it's going to sound a little contrived, but, uh, but I feel like my interest in... Uh, uh, getting businesses to think like their customers goes all the all the way back. This is like a formative experience when I was a when I was a teenager and a pyromaniac, and like like Fourth of July is coming, and I'm buying fireworks. And uh, you could we lived out in the country, you could buy some pretty explosive stuff. And I I so I buy a bunch of fireworks, and I'm looking at the labels, and I see these names like honestly I don't remember what the names were, but they were things like like Black Cat or Great Wall or something like that. And and I'm thinking, why don't they ask me how to name these fireworks? Like they could sell a hundred times more if I just gave them some names. Like I'm going to give you names like Megaton Detonator or Pyroplastic Death <laughs> or, or whatever. And, and of course, nobody ever asked my opinion. But it's funny to think back on that memory and realize that there, there probably was some researcher out there somewhere talking to these other teenage pyromaniacs and coming up with market messaging that that spoke to them. So that's anyway, that's kind of a prehistory of my desire to be customer centric. <laughs> anyway, that the real history is I I worked on the client side for a number of years. I was at Thomson Reuters um, in the legal division. I was there left there as market director of market research in 2009 and that's actually where I got to know Phase Five, and I've been here at Phase Five now for about eight years. I run run the U.S. office, and so I do a lot of work across all of our practice areas: UX and CX, sort of general market insights, and of course innovation. And at the same time, I've been leading our data analytics practice, where we take on projects that are more kind of big data like. Excellent! That was such a nice background. I really, really appreciate it. So I'm so happy we have you here today because you would be, I'd say, an expert into the jobs to be done framework, which is something that I think a lot of people want to learn more about what the framework is exactly, as well as how it works. So I'd love if you could just share a little bit of your background into really what this framework is and why it's important. Well, great. I mean, are, are you ever an expert? You're always learning. Like we've been doing jobs to be done for, for a long time now, and I'm still learning all the time. I think the way that you frame up the question is really part of the answer. Jobs to be done is a framework. And in my mind, it's the ultimate customer-centric way to look at the world because it forces you to think exclusively from the perspective of your customer and what it is that they are trying to get done, right? The jobs that they mm -hmm. are trying to get done, hence the name. So um, it's not about your products or making your products better, even though jobs to be done, of course, is used to make companies' products better. 
It's also not about your user experience or the, the customer experience that you provide to your customers, even though jobs to be done can certainly be used to improve the user experience and the customer experience, because the whole framing of jobs to be done is around that person. They have something to get done. They may use your product or your services in getting that thing done, but using your product or your service is not their objective. And, and I know that sounds kind of obvious, but it's it's amazing how easy it is to fall into that trap when you're working within a company of getting focused on your own stuff and failing to step back and realize people are using your stuff as a means to an end and not as the actual end. So, so that's the general framework of, of jobs to be done. Let's present everything from the perspective of this person who's trying to get this thing done so that we can understand how our products and our services fit into that person's flow. Now, to do that, obviously, we got to get more specific. So the second part of your question was, how does jobs to be done work? Exactly, yes. Here's the really short answer. In the end, in the end result, it's providing a company with specific things to innovate against. And you might say, well, you know, we get that with our current customer research. We go out and we we ask customers what they need and they say, oh, you know, I, we need a bigger widget or we need we need you to add this feature to your software or whatever. The trouble with that approach is that the graveyard of once great companies is littered with those that followed the path of asking, what do you need? So, so let me be really specific about what jobs to be done gives us that's different. It gives us the things that customers are trying to accomplish, prioritized by uh, what's most important to them and what they are least satisfied with today, according to the tools that they have at their disposal to get the job done. So it's that prioritized list idea. That's that's how jobs to be done works. It by design, this prioritized list points to where you can innovate to differentiate yourself in the marketplace according to what customers want. And by the way, that innovation, um, I think I hinted at this earlier, the innovation is not just product innovation. If you do jobs to be done well. Yes, of course, your product development team can can use that to you know build out a roadmap of what to develop. But a lot of times, helping a customer get a job done better will be a better customer experience. So your customer experience team can use that uh, in their plans, knowing what customers are trying to do. A sales team can use jobs to be done to better position your offerings, you know, keeping that customer mm -hmm. mindset in in their heads. Okay, so I know I still haven't really answered the question. How does how does jobs to be done work in practice? How do you get that prioritized list? And you know, yeah. I want to give give as much of this as I can. And obviously this is just a talk, but there's a structural hierarchy to jobs to be done that basically boils down to taking big jobs and breaking them down into three dimensions. So dimension number one, 
subtasks, we often call them. So what are what are the smaller jobs that are required in order to get the bigger job done? I mean, obviously, if you have some large thing that you're trying to get done, there's uh, a whole set of uh, steps that you have to go through to get that done. So the subtasks is number one. Number two is what we call metrics for success. So how does the person measure whether a job has been done successfully? And when we say measure, you take that loosely. It could be tacitly, it could be explicitly. But metrics for success is your second mention, super important. And the third one is circumstances. So circumstances mean you want to develop a comprehensive set of call them circumstances, call them conditions under which the job is done. And so the circumstances are going to apply to some people, but not to other people. They, they won't apply to all people in all situations, otherwise it wouldn't be interesting, but it applies to some people in some situations as they're doing that job. And I'm gonna explain how each of those is used. So we got subtasks, metrics for success, and circumstances. So how do you take those three dimensions then and arrive at a prioritized list of things to innovate against? Well, for the first two, um, what we do, so the, the first two, remember, are subtasks and metrics for success. And what we do there is we quantify how important is this to the person. So if they're uh, if they've got a metric for success, how important is that? Mildly important, super important, whatever. And the second dimension is how well is it going for you today, which we call kind of a satisfaction metric. But given all the tools that you have at your disposal, you know, how well are you doing at that? And then, so you've got two dimensions, right? And you use a formula to combine those two dimensions into a single dimension of opportunity, which basically says the more important something is and the less satisfied people are with how well they're getting it done, the greater the opportunity. So you'll find, you know, once you do that, you'll find some things that are hugely important, but people are basically satisfied with how well they're getting it done. So there's actually not a lot of opportunity there, although you can argue that that, that kind of item is table stakes. If you're not doing it, you're definitely going to fail. On the other hand, there may be other, other things that are more in the middle in terms of importance. You know, it's kind of important, but people are really unhappy with how well it's getting done today. And that can be where those those opportunity scores go way up. That's where the that's where the golden opportunities lie. So that's part of the prioritization. But let's not forget that third dimension. So remember the third dimension is uh, circumstances, right? So by identifying circumstances that apply some of the time or to some of the people, you can do a better job of identifying opportunities. So I'll try to make this more tangible. Let's imagine that you're an industrial equipment manufacturer. You're looking at the jobs that people are trying to get done while they use your equipment. But you know that sometimes this equipment needs to be used, uh, for example, where there's limited access to the electrical grid or no access to the electrical grid. And so you can actually quantify then if you do a survey, you can quantify how often that circumstance exists and how it how it affects the opportunity scores for those other metrics for success and subtasks, because it may have a very dramatic effect. And then what that can do is that can provide kind of niche opportunities or maybe opportunities to develop specific 
product lines based on that or specific services that cater to that circumstance. I hope that gives a sense of the overview. That, that is the basic structure of jobs to be done. And if you back up, you say, well, so how do you get to those three things? Generally, you do it first through qualitative research. And then if you have the wherewithal, you quantify the, the items that we were talking about. So you need to do qualitative research. You need to talk to customers. You need to understand in gory detail what those subtasks are and how they measure success. And they won't be able to tell you uh, directly most of the time, but you'll have to listen to what they're doing. You'll have to go through their process and tease out, oh, this is the thing that matters to them. This is how they're doing it. And then try to get that measure of, well, so how important is that and how satisfied are they with how well it's getting done? If you can, I know you may not be able to share an actual project example, but another circumstance or two where that framework and that jobs be done mindset would actually be very applicable just for our listeners to take that idea and apply it to how it could actually work. The most common one is with a product roadmap. So we do a lot of work with, uh, you know, business software systems, for example. And if you're you're uh, a B2B software company, you're always looking, you know, any software company, I suppose. But you're looking out um, a year, two years, three years. What is our product roadmap going to look like? And in that situation, you really want to understand jobs to be done because that's exactly what you want to develop. Mm -hmm. You want to develop the things that are somewhat important, hopefully highly important, more important to customers, but they're not very satisfied with how they're getting done today. And, you know, software is always an arms race because the thing that is not well done today, eventually somebody's going to figure out and they're going to do it well, and that's going to become table stakes. But you want to get ahead of that curve. And that's that's where jobs to be done becomes really important because instead of asking Asking customers or prospects is like, hey, what new features do you want? You can kind of get ahead of that and say, oh, this is what they're they're trying to get done. And this is the part of it that's not working very well for them. And that's how we want to build our product roadmap. So I say that's a very typical application of jobs to be done. Would you say that when you do apply the jobs to be done framework for a project with a client, are you typically only using jobs to be done or are you ever combining and using it with other methodologies? Uh, we combine it very often. In fact, I think you can refer people to, there's a, there may be a recording of a, a talk that I've done on jobs to be done plus customer journey mapping. So a lot of times we use it in the con context of customer journey mapping, and uh, I'm not gonna be as eloquent as I, <laughs> I think I was in that talk, but if you think about customer journey mapping, what is customer journey mapping? You're looking at the customer journey from discovering what your category is all the way to deciding on your, your company, your category, your product, and maybe going through going through what it's like to be, be your customer and after sales, repeat customer, so on, right? So you're going through that whole thing. So it's kind of the path to you, whereas jobs to be done is it's it's almost the opposite. It's like the orthogonal version of that. It's like, well, this is what the customer is doing. Yes, they happen to, uh, they may happen to encounter your company and your products in doing it. So when you combine them, it's actually super powerful. You can you, you go through a customer journey and you say, what are the what are the jobs at each stage of the journey that people are doing? 
And we found it to be a very effective way of helping an organization improve the customer journey, but through the lens of what the customer is actually trying to accomplish at each stage. So that's that's the most common example. That's a great example. And I would love to pick your brain for another episode one day on more details on combining jobs to be done with customer journey mapping, if you're up for it. Yeah, absolutely. We use it a lot. So it's it's something that we think is unique on the market. It's, I, there's nothing really new under the sun, but I think it, it does provide a, a more holistic perspective for companies that really want to understand how to center themselves around customers. Uh, Steve, before we conclude today, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to share with our listeners and maybe for anyone who this framework for jobs to be done is new to them? Any Anything you'd want to share? Uh, I guess the only thing that I feel like I didn't say is that when you're thinking about jobs to be done, it's really important to scope your inquiry ahead of time because jobs to be done can be, it can be boiling the ocean. You can rethink your entire industry on the one hand. And honestly, like that's not a bad thing to do. Sometimes you want to rethink your entire industry, but your scope then should be focused on that. It's like, what is it that in a five-year, 10-year time frame we we could be doing? Or what are our markets, where are they going to want to be going? That's a very different inquiry from, okay, over the next year or two, what what do we want to change about our customer experience or about our product to to make things better for our customers? And you can't do everything. And that's, again, actually the, another nice thing about uh, customer journey mapping is sometimes you can focus then like if you know that there's one part of the customer journey that you want to improve then you take a jobs to be done lens to that stage of the customer mm. journey and you can do great incremental innovation that is maybe somewhat disruptive within that smaller space without feeling like oh again we're boiling the ocean steve i just want to thank you so much for really explaining jobs to be done and providing some really awesome examples on how it can be worked in with other methodologies. Just want to really thank you for explaining that and for your time today. And for anyone who is listening right now, if you have any further questions and want to learn more about jobs to be done, I'm sure Steve is happy to answer those questions if you do send an email of inquiry. And furthermore, we do have some resources on our phase five website. And Steve, I believe your presentation on combining jobs to be done and customer journey mapping is available as well. Hopefully the the download, I don't know about the audio, but at least there's a, there's a the deck present- on it that kind of gives an exactly. And just thank you to our listeners for being here for our second episode of Smarter Together. And if you'd like to submit any questions, any suggestions for a podcast topic, we have a section on our website where you will be able to do so. Thank you very much, Steve, and thank you everyone for listening and hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Rachel. Have a good one.